0: Go. That's right. The show that other shows call show prep because this ain't a call in show, baby. It's a call it show. And oh, hell yeah, we've got a lot to call because things are taking place. That's a fact. But the last man standing here, the man of tomorrow, ready to go. And we've got a lot to cover this week, as always. So, but before I get into it, before we get into the random access, I mean, there is so much shit to talk about. Believe me, this episode is on fire. I got to tell you, talk about something that sets me on fire. That is the voice of the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. And she had uh, she was a part of the Book of Satoshi, which was a, a book uh, compiled. It was a compilation of of all the real a lot of the 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 uh, the works, the correspondence uh, of the writings of Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. And it's a really interesting read. Phil Champlain put it together. Uh, some guy did the intro for it. Uh, but anyway, Stephanie did the she, she did the 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 audiobook for it. And there's a link in the show notes, uh, show notes, appendix of the show notes. You can check that out. It is really worth uh, a listen, as well as a read. So do look into that. Awesome, awesome work. I love it. Of course, I could listen to Stephanie all day. And in fact, most days, hell, I get to. <laughs> and I love it. Oh, all right. <laughs> Let me calm my heart down here. Uh, speaking of other things that I listen to, God, I don't know what it is with 2015, but what it's a hell of a year and a good one at that. Uh, before I get into some random access, there was a new... There was a new Toto album, for one. That was incredible. Uh, there's a song on there called Burn. The album's called 14. Uh, there's a song called Burn on it. It's track two. That was amazing. You just heard the opening song was a new song that, that David Hasselhoff did for a movie coming out called Kung Fury. Uh, and this, it's called True Survivor was the name of the song. That song's amazing. And of course, Sovereign Tech listeners know I'm a genuine fan of David Hasselhoff's music. I've talked about that many times on some of the music specials that I've uh, released. And uh, and so th- that that song's incredible. There's no way I was going to play that and give uh, give the Hoff some love because I don't hassle the Hoff. And uh, also, you know, the other album that just blew my mind that came out this past week was Impelitary came out with a new album. Now, Impelitary is a metal band that they uh, Chris Impelitary, who's one of the lead guys there now. I think he's got Rob Rock uh, singing for him. Uh, But, you know, some people wrote him off as a Christian band, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, nobody shreds like Chris and Pelletieri, that guy plays shit so fast. And I always loved. they did the song Stand in Line, which was also the name of the album, Stand in Line, uh, from back like 87 or something. Boy, that was, that was fantastic stuff. Uh, so just a lot of great, a lot of great things going on out there. But of course, Sovereign Tech does have to bring sometimes a reality check, because it's not always sweetness and light out there. Uh, but anyway, certainly plenty of things to listen to, especially if you don't want to hear my voice, you can go check out all that great stuff I just listed off. But Maybe you don't like to hear my voice. Let's get into the random access here. But maybe, maybe you could at least stand reading what the Golden Stallion has to say from he- you know here and there. Now, of course, there's the new website, and that's SovereignTech.Ninja, or you can go to Zog.Ninja. That's Z-O-G.ninja, uh, or ZomiaOfflineGames.com. All the DarkAndroid.Info. All those URLs lead to the same hub uh, of information and of all the projects that I do. And I do have a blog there, which I call the Zog Blog, and so you can go to the site and you can read. I, I've posted a, a couple of blogs uh, this week. One of them had to do with uh, the concept of zero tasking that I've talked about, which is really just my non-woo woo way of uh, of saying, you know, of, of meditating. Okay. No spirituality, no religion, you know, nothing like that. Just straight up meditating for, you know, for the health of it and the awareness of it. Uh, so a lot of people uh, seem to really enjoy uh, my talking about zero tasking. So I did a full write up on the blog about how I do it, what I do now. Please keep in mind, you can choose your time a day, you can choose the way you do it, the length of time, all that good stuff. I just laid out what I do. But please, by all means, you know, do it your way, but you know, maybe it's just a good template. So you can check out that at the Zog blog. Uh, and also something new that I'm going to be introducing with, uh, with Sovereign Tech. And that is DAPS. I did a real quick uh, blog post about this and what DAPS is, is it's going to be my shorthand. Uh, It will be the shorthand on Sovereign Tech and maybe it'll catch on otherwise, but Often enough, you know, as as if you read the blog post, you'll see. uh, I often talk ever since episode one hundred of Sovereign Tech. Which boy, we're at episode one twenty two. That means in just three episodes, we're going to have some new intros. We're going to shake the show up a bit. Okay, well, maybe more than a bit. But uh, one of the things, you know, that I said I wanted to talk about more was system D. I wanted to concentrate on that parallel economy, parallel communities, parallel existence uh, to the status matrix that we exist within. You you know, because, again, Sovereign Tech, if you didn't notice, because it didn't really play in the intro this time around, uh, this is an anarchist run show. And it's about anarchy, baby, you know, and, and the fusion of technology with that. So. You know, I like to talk about system D. And the thing is, is that a lot of the news I, that I bring up and that's important. Sometimes it's relative, relevant to system D. Sometimes it's relevant to just one's own personal freedom, which is the only real freedom you can get. Uh, you know, it, it, it's more of a consumer thing. And it's not something that I would recommend if somebody is interested in having technology that is, say, decentralized or that uh, allows for anonymity or privacy or security. And so how do I shorthand? Saying that something does not relate to those, uh, you know, to those needs, to those are, if, if you want to call them needs, or to those topics, and so I, so I, I just put those four words together and made an acronym, and it's called DAPS, DAPS, decentralization, anonymity, privacy, and security. So if something is not DAPS related, that's exactly what I'll say. I'll say, look, well, this software or this hardware isn't DAPS. You know, it's, it's, it's non-DAPS or, you know, however that'll end up getting phrased. But that's it is DAPS is the acronym that I will use. Now, you know, maybe I'll use it in the positive sense as well as saying, look, this is full DAPS. Okay, and so it's just shorthand. I want to use it. It it keeps me from having to. And I'll explain it a couple of times as I use it. You know, anytime you you introduce new words or acronyms or something, uh, people got to get used to hearing it. Okay, but, you know, so I will explain it a couple of times, but this is shorthand so that I can spend more time talking about relevance than describing necessarily, you know, what, uh, you know, what aspect a piece of software or hardware or whatever, uh, you know, has to do with Overall, so so that that's the trick is is DAPS. Uh, So, you know, a lot I I talked to some people got back with me and said that they loved uh, the acronym. They thought, it you know, that it worked really, really well and that it explains. So DAPS when something is DAPS, that means it's decentralized, anonymous, you know, allows for anonymity, privacy and security, which I think is should be that should be the standard. That should be the metric that everything gets judged by uh, in the tech world today. I really do. I, I think everything should be that should be like uh, that should also be the floor. OK, <laughs> and you build up from there like there's the floor is depths. And if it's below that, well, use with caution. Uh, well, I mean, always use everything with caution, of course, but use with Extreme caution, perhaps. So, anyway, that that's the the principle of DAPs. But now let's get into let's get into more of the random access. Uh, speaking of hardware, and this is you know this isn't DAPs or non DAPs. It's all about how you use it, I suppose. Uh, but tape drives. Now you know tape drives are an interesting subject because tape drives were well. Tape drives being things like uh, zip disks. Well, zip disks wouldn't necessarily be a tape drive. Jazz would be more of a more of a tape drive. But, uh, you know, for the bulk of the decades of, com- you know, computer history, uh, tape storage, magnetic tape, not unlike an audio cassette, is what was used uh, for storage for data storage. And it wasn't until really later on that, and certainly for portable data storage, it wasn't until later on, you know, that the Platin-type hard drive, you know, became the the standard and whatever. Uh, but tape technology still got developed here and there. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, you know, that's funny. Like, I guess that... Disks and zip disks and jazz drives. I don't know that they'd all technically classify as like tape uh, as tape disks. But anyway, point being is that I'm amazed. And I like the fact that tape, you know, magnetic tape technology is still getting developed. Uh, And so there is actually a by Fujifilm and IBM. They have developed a tape disk, you know, or a tape drive that can do 220 terabytes and it's like an audio cassette, as I understand it. The size—it's not huge, and it can do 220 terabytes. That's insane, you know. Now there's a lot of concerns with you know how how well does you know how well can a can a magnetic tape, uh, disc, you know, or 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 cassette, whatever you want to call it, hold up? Yeah, maybe not very well. Maybe that's not the best storage in the world. I know people used to have to kind of bake their tapes, right? Remember that? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I was. You know, I was like six when people used to do that. But and, you know, I, I still remember as a historian first, which I am, uh, I still remember that, uh, you know, or I'm aware of that uh, very much so. But I, I think that's interesting that that's happening. Uh, I still think the best storage solution I've seen so far is uh, is that M-DISC. Uh, technology where it's like made out of, you know, it's DVDs and Blu-rays essentially made out of rock. Uh, and cause it's, it's affordable as to where I don't know the pricing on these 220 terabyte, which is amazing. Uh, tape drives are, or, ta- you know, whatever they want to call it, cassettes. Um, but I mean, the M disc is, the thing is that M discs last literally thousands of years. Uh, and so that's why I think M disk is probably the best thing out there. And since it's so inexpensive to implement, uh, you know, why why aren't people using them or I I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm going to I don't have an M I want to get an M disk drive yet. I, I don't have that yet. But you better believe I'd be putting a whole bunch of Sovereign Tech and, and LRN uh, stuff on there, which, you know, that's another thing real quick uh, before I get into more of the random access. Uh, LRN is still doing their fundraiser for getting LRN, which LRN.fm is one of the, the syndicates that Sovereign Tech airs on, uh, to which is the Liberty Radio Network. You hear an ad for it every week on Sovereign Tech. Um, you know, they're they're still still trying to get retransmitted over Africa. And we've and it's not like, well, who's listening in Africa? No. People on LRN have heard from listeners in Africa. So people are listening and the message of liberty is there. And, you know, something interesting that's happening in in Africa. In fact, Bill Gates was was talking about how uh, mobile payments uh, are, you know, in Africa, blow away any other the rest of the world by a long shot. You know, so Africa is skipping entire segments. Of of infrastructure and n- and that's the thing is a lot of a lot of times it's useless infrastructure that the continent is skipping. And so imagine if they are skipping technological infrastructure, what if they could skip ideological infrastructure and LRN, the Liberty Radio Network, was a part of it. There's a link. I think you can go to uh, Africa. Dot LRN. FM, and I think that'll take you there, but there, either way in the show notes for Sovereign Tech at sovereigntech.ninja, You can uh, there's in the appendix. There's a link for where you can help the Indiegogo uh, campaign. It's still going for a couple more weeks. This is important stuff, everybody, you know, to get this message out there uh, to uh, really acro- across the world because there's no there's no other there's really no other network like LRN.FM. So really, really important. And of course, always thankful that they uh, they air Sovereign Tech uh, every single Week, um, but back back to back to the random access a bit here. That was a nice little uh, little break in. The Nvidia Shield. Now this this is a game changer that I don't think people realize. So something new that's coming around are these Android TV uh, set top boxes, which is pretty much you know little 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 computer little box that has Android on it and allows you to do, you know, and and there's like a a custom UI, uh, you know, user interface for Android TV. But largely it lets you run a bunch of Android apps on your television. Now, some televisions are getting this built in and some but some companies are going the opposite direction where they are turning these Android TV boxes into full on consoles like game consoles, like to compare and to actually compete with the Xbox one or the PS four or the Wii U, or of course, you know, Nintendo's, uh, you know, future system that they announced recently. Uh, And so now the thing is with these, and I've talked about them before because, uh, you know, as far, okay, I don't trust Google, but as far as the implementation goes, okay, again, you know, any, an Android set top box is probably going to be non daps. Like we say (laughs) now, now we say, Uh, but You know, one of the things I I think it's an interesting idea, but one of the big failures with this consumer technology is that most of the Android TV boxes that have come out only have like 16 gig of storage. Yeah, you can, you know, some of them might have micro SD cards or something, but they've really been failing there. Now, some of them have had plenty of power built into them, like they'll have the Tegra X1 chip from NVIDIA. Okay, and NVIDIA themselves announced their own set top, you know, their own Android TV, uh, what they call a micro console. And that's the you know, they're calling it the shield. And of course, they have like three or four products that all have the same name of shield. So it's tough to differentiate between the two. But, they, you know, a lot of people were like, OK, yeah, it's 200 bucks. And the, and b- the bulk of these run between 100 and 200 dollars. And everybody's just like, yeah, whatever. But every time they see that it's only going to have 16 gig of, of mem- you know, not of RAM, but, of, of you know, of storage uh, on these devices, everybody's like, well, what the fuck? It's like, you know, this is supposed to be a console. I'm going to if I'm lucky, I'm going to get like three decent games to fit on there. And that's it. Because, yeah, I mean, Android games are as large Again, gaming is what's saving us from uh, centralized cloud computing. As I've said on Sovereign Tech before, um, you know, you know, you, you have to download these multi gigabyte games even for Android. And so everybody's just like, this is stupid. It's like, oh, it's great you have, you know, that they'll they'll have uh, an, an SD card, but some software doesn't let you transfer to an SD card. So that's an issue right there. So it's interesting. A real game changer kind of occurred uh, this week in that NVIDIA announced that for their Shield Android TV, they're going to release for $300. It's an extra $100 from their base model. They're going to release a 500 gigabyte model. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, who cares? You know, what's the big deal? Oh, great. Okay, so I can store a bunch of games on there. I think what's interesting here is that this is the first time that an Android device will be, you know, out out of the box, as it were, you know, without modification or whatever, there will be an Android device that could very much be a computer that could store a whole, you know, that could become an actual offline device and not so cloud connected. I think this is a real game changer, and it's going to affect... Android in ways that that I don't think anybody can really foresee and I can't either. Uh, you, you know the only thing I can imagine you know a lot of people talk about and how, how Android is kind of the modern day Windows and i think that's not an unfair you know assessment to make but i think that when you're finally going to have an android device that has 500 gigabytes that starts to become a reality and this is when android could start becoming more popular perhaps for media production for all kinds of things because i can't picture it take too much to get something like audacity or whatever written onto onto android uh you know it, because it's it's linux code i mean it's all kind of the same shit so I thought that that was really this is going to some be something to keep an eye on. And I think that this is actually a huge, uh, no pun intended, you know, the shield uh, micro console is no pun intended, a game changer. For Android as an operating system, I think this is really going to change things and you're going to start seeing this become a lot more popular. And it'll be interesting how well this sells, because if people will pay that premium for that, that means that Android based computing uh, I think is going to to come to four whether that's a good thing or a bad thing that's that's a whole other story uh it, one could make the case that it's far better especially if you can put AOSP or cyanogen mod on it that it's far better than you know people using windows well that case could be made and if you feel that way you feel that way uh boy more more random access I, I told you there, there's a there's a ton to get through this week uh frankly still no ethereum <laughs> it's the end of April baby and it nowhere to be seen uh there was a bit of a media push earlier this month which I think was to somehow uh assuage perhaps uh you know uh, investors concerns but look I want to lay this out real quick I want to lay out a little theory with you and I've actually said this on social media some time ago but I want to I want to get it out you know in in stone <laughs> on a on a newscast And that is that I think Ethereum is actually going to get bought out by IBM uh, or merge with IBM. I mean, IBM's uh, Adept, which as far as I know, Sovereign Tech was the first show in the crypto space to even talk about Adept uh, in the crypto space. I actually heard about it from an Internet of Things to be hacked show, uh, but. Anyway, so I think Ethereum, what's going to happen is it's going to be just like Oculus Rift, where Oculus was this massive Kickstarter success, made tons and tons of money. There was no need for the company to get bought out by, you know, by Facebook. But they did anyway. And all the people that invested in the Oculus Rift pretty much got nothing out of the deal other than an actual Oculus Rift which one could say well that's all they really wanted yeah but if you're if the company Oculus was funded by the people you essentially by investors okay <laughs> i mean even though it's you know at small scale if they're funded in that way and then they do a buyout and the investors get no part of that buyout yeah i think that's bullshit i think that's crap and so i think something very similar is going to happen with ethereum where it and and i question whether or not people will even get anything of value out of it like maybe they get some ether they get like a adept ether or ether adept you know maybe that's what they'll you know be some hybrid product or whatever but this is a guess on my part okay no doubt about it but i think it, you know sometimes what i call gets is right on and i'm going to cover some more of those we got more to get into the random access but i think that's what's going to happen they're going to ethereum's going to pull an oculus and ibm is going to end up consuming or buying uh you know buying it out whatever that ends up uh looking like and i think a lot of people really are going to get left with pretty much nothing Uh so and and of course ibm be dipping their hands in anything is fucking terrible <laughs> i mean like that that's I mean, Ethereum's a bad idea on its, you know, on its, or it, a lot of what, okay, the idea of putting code, mixing code with a blockchain is not in and of itself a bad idea. The implementations, the ideas that people talk about doing with Ethereum are atrocious, atrocious uh, ideas. And to just add IBM into the mix, oh, deamag. Yeah, I said it. All right. Uh, so more random access. Let's get into this. Uh, oh, here, speaking of, so I just made a call. Well, here's something that I called that ended up being absolutely true. I had some very kind listeners who actually subscribe to other news sources like the Wall Street Journal and others. They sent me some PDFs, some, you know, uh, to where because you have to pay for some of that content. Some people send me this stuff and I really appreciate it. And I had a listener send to me. They said, Golden Stallion. Boy, did you call it or what? And what did I call the Department of Homeland Security? DHS is actually setting up an office. In Silicon Valley. And the purpose of all this, of course, uh, this was just announced this week, but the purpose of all this was to, um, you know, they they said, well, we want to work more closely with companies in Silicon Valley. We want to. uh, Here's the kicker. We want to fund startups, hackerspaces, go down the list. You know, they they want to fund what's going on in Silicon Valley. They want to be a part of it. And. uh, boo! <laughs> there it is. You just heard it from the Duchess of Debauchery, uh, Stephanie Murphy. She uh, yeah, boo. It, this is terrible. But it just proves my point that Silicon Valley is and just a fucking evil place. It is the den of iniquity. It is Washington, D.C. part two. In my opinion, And and DHS setting up a satellite office there just proves the point. Now, does it change a whole lot? No, in my opinion, not really. It just makes it more out in the open makes it perhaps a little more honest in what Silicon Valley is all about. OK, uh, you know, I think this stuff has been going on forever. There's a couple episodes back that actually the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy was on where we discussed um, that issue. So, uh, yeah, there it is, folks. You know, I mean, they are this is corporatism, uh, you know, I mean, corporatism is wrong anyway. You slice it. But this is corporatism on steroids. And it's gone deadly wrong, uh, in, in my opinion, and, and just just wait to see what kind of Bullshit comes out of uh, comes out of all this. Woo! <laughs> more random access. Uh, speaking of uh, crazy things out of, um, you know, out of Silicon Valley, Project Fi. That's right. It happened. We talked about this on Sovereign Tech a few times. Uh, Project Fi is, of course, Google's MVNO. It's their mobile carrier. It is their uh, you know, they have become a cell phone company effectively. And admittedly, it, I mean, I'd actually OK, what it does. There's some things that are special. But by and large, the service itself is not very special. OK, there's a plan. It's like 20 bucks outright. And that'll give you unlimited talk and t- talk and text. And then the lowest tier data plan. There's no unlimited data plan, which I think pretty much writes it off uh, for me as in that it's not usable. Um, There's a one gigabyte. That's the lowest data plan. And you have to pay uh, $10 a month for that. So 30 bucks to get, to get in on this. It only works on the Nexus six. And that's kind of where the special part comes in because they actually made custom SIM cards because this MVNO, which means that they're a mobile virtual, uh, you know, network operator. I I think that's what it means. Um, Since they're virtual, they, you know, Google's not laying out their own lines and towers. Okay, it's actually they're using T-Mobile and Sprint. So the Nexus 6 apparently has somewhat of a unique ability to use a SIM card that can hop networks, okay, that can hop towers like it can use, uh, you know, it can use T-Mobile's and Sprint's and switch between them very easily. And then, of course, it interacts well with this. Part of the reason why they call it Fi is perhaps because it relies so heavily on Wi-Fi. So I don't know. You know why it took. Well, no, I mean, it makes sense because these companies like their monopolies. But it's interesting that Google is the company that had to come out and say, "Okay, I will make a SIM card. You know, we'll make a SIM card that will be able to really efficiently bounce between these networks that should have been developed 10 years ago. Uh, It's an insult that it didn't exist before now. Now, I mean, granted, when you use international stuff, I mean, you're still kind of bouncing here and there, you know, by and large. But really, you're, you're bouncing companies. You're not actually bouncing towers. You can still only use their certain towers, uh, which that's something is that there is free international, uh, you know, data and calling and all that stuff. There's a bunch of other things like there's Wi-Fi tethering, which uh, doesn't cost you more to activate, but it uses your data plan the same way. So n- nothing special you know, about the plan. But to make a quick comment about the international thing, like I said, this is a call it show, baby, because I said that Sprint set up their international calling. This is just a few weeks ago that Sprint because they know that Google is going to be doing free international. And so they wanted to make sure that that they had it out there and that they would have pie on their face if it wasn't, you know, if they if, if Google Project Phi was using international line, you know, international towers for Sprint, but Sprint didn't offer it themselves. They knew they'd look ugly. And so I had said that I said, I was like, I think that Sprint knows what's coming. Obviously, they would since they did the deal with Google. OK, and that that's why they went with, uh, you know, with Unlimited International, uh, just like T-Mobile and now uh, just like uh, Project Fi. Uh, so, you know, there's there's other things to talk about with Project Phi. But maybe we'll save that for another week because I still have a ton of random access to get through. Uh, But speaking of another big company encroaching more and more into the mobile space and taking control of your phone, uh, Facebook released an app called Hello this week. And really, all it does is it skins your dialer. Okay, you know, you're. Where it says phone on your, uh, you know, on your smartphone. Uh, And I think this is only for Android right now because Android still, even though Google is taking control of Android, Android still allows for a lot of underlying interoperability, which is kind of its one advantage, I think, or not, maybe it's not its only advantage, but one of the few advantages it still has. Um, over iOS, of course, that sword swings both ways. iOS has advantages over over Android too, uh, at a consumer level. So, and and again, this this isn't DAPs. Like I said, this is non DAP software. Uh, but Facebook Hello, uh, it, it's interesting because what I think a lot of people don't realize. So so it it will kind of mi- mix Messenger, the Messenger app. And your contacts on Facebook with your contacts on your phone, which kind of has already happened. But this is just a little more, uh, uh, you know, obvious uh, about it. And what I think is interesting about about Facebook Hello is that and a lot of people don't know this, is that like 10 percent of the VoIP calls as voice over IP, you know, voice over data, 10 percent of the VoIP calls around the world. So we're talking global. 10 percent is a big number are done through Facebook Messenger. So this isn't crazy for Google to want to step into the non-VoIP space, uh, you know, of your telephone calls and to really get you used to just interacting more and more and more and more Within Facebook itself and within Messenger uh, and and it lends itself you know, to the idea, I think, also because a lot of people do, you know, a lot of companies still do. A lot of governments still do. They attach your phone number to your identity. Your phone number is part of a confirmation of your identity. And so when I have said in the past for for over a year now that Facebook wants to be, you know, the your identity service, perhaps your global identity or your national identity, the way that they're integrating into workspaces and whatever else, this is just part and parcel of that, that they want to become your ID. Facebook wants to become your driver's license. And, you know, being like, like taking over your phone number is just, in my opinion, it's just a a big, you know, it's another uh, part of that. So uh, moving on Apple, what a shock. Let's talk about Apple for a second. We talk a lot about Android. Apple is now taking out apps out of the app store. Not surprising by anyone, but they're taking out apps that say that explicitly state that they support Pebble smartwatches. OK, now, as far as smartwatches go, generally, I despise, uh, you know, wearables. I, I think actually there should be they shouldn't even call them smartwatches. It should just be called wearables because it's insulting to watches to call these things smartwatches. So as far as wearables go, I think Pebble are probably the best of the bunch because they're relatively waterproof. Their battery lasts for a good week or so. You know, they act more like a, like a watch, like something I would want to wear would to where I'm not concerned about battery life. Uh, So much something that I have on me all the time that I can't take out of my pocket or whatever. And so, you know, this is interesting because this is really Apple closing in. And saying, look, if you support now, they're not saying that you can't support Pebble, but they're saying you can't announce that Pebble even exists. And this is part of that reality distortion field that Apple always wants to create. This is part of them lock, trying to lock in their ecosystem. And so they're pulling apps that make any mention of Pebble. And this is this is a thing. And we'll talk about more, perhaps, about gateways during Tech Roulette. OK, but this is the thing with gateways which the app store is okay. This is one of the, another advantage for Android where you can go get the F droid store and you can go to DarkAndroid.info If you want to find out more about this sort of thing. Okay. Um, but you have the F droid store where you have the opportunity to get apps. Even if Google pulled stuff out, you can put in alternative stores. Okay. You know, alternative app uh, listings, you know, and, and, and uh, repositories. Okay. On Android as to where with Apple. Yeah. I guess if you jailbreak, you can kind of do that. Okay. But, but out of the, you know, out of the box, that's not possible, and we're seeing the danger of that because Apple is being, you know, very much a big brother in saying, "Oh, you mentioned Pebble, you're off," just for mentioning Pebble. There's no security hole. There's no security flaw to be had here. It's just that they mention the competition. They want people to only think about, you know, about the the uh, the the Apple Watch and the Apple Watch alone. OK, and so some people have been theorizing that Android Wear would end up coming to iOS. That's probably not going to happen. If it is, it's a sidebar. It's a side effect. You know, it's a, a byproduct. It will not be like something that anybody could possibly, uh, you know, promote. And uh, I think this is crazy. I mean, it's not crazy because, you know, Apple won't even allow farting apps. In the app store, so what a shock that they would pull this stuff. But I mean, this is really, really heavy-handed. You know, is there anything ethically wrong with them doing it? No, uh, but this is pretty heavy-handed stuff to even control to say, okay, you know, we're going to control what you even say in you know in your description of your app because there was other talks about that about how if uh, an app icon. Had something like a gun in it or something like that, that Apple would pull that as well. Uh, I mean, I, I despise this because this is, you know, this is cultural control. And there's something to be said for the tyranny of the default which means that what comes with something often people will just use. It's known as the, the tyranny of the default, which is largely why a lot of people think Google is still so dominant in search. Uh, you know, despite all the information that comes out about what Google does uh, with your data, the reason is, is that it's the default on so many things. And so it's, the, it's what they call the tyranny of the default. That's not my term, but that's a term in Silicon Valley. And, uh, and so Apple is really banking, I think, on the tyranny of the default. With, you know, pretty much eliminating uh, Pebble, You're, you, you know, they're not eliminating Pebble. They're not closing it in in that way, but they're making it seem like the Pebble can't doesn't even exist. So creepy stuff. Uh, let's see. We've got a little bit more here, but I want to get into the main story because our main story is a doozy. Uh, I mean, really, really important stuff and talk about calling shit. Uh, <laughs> so but yeah, well, here here's a little more of a call uh, stuff that I've called Yahoo denounced this week. That they are now. This is one thing to keep in mind is that, like, the NASDAQ this week uh, did kind of a high, and a lot of companies reported kind of marginal, you know, doing better than projections. Yahoo is one of those companies, as I understand, that did a little bit better on project, projections. Microsoft did as well. Um, Google is Google. <laughs> but anyway, but Yahoo announced this week that they are they have a it's called it, the code name for it is Index and what this is is it is a personal assistant software. And you know, not unlike and made to directly take on Google Now, Siri, Cortana, uh you know, take your even the black BlackBerry has that personal assistant. Uh you know, it's designed to take on all those. Now, a lot of people might think this is crazy. I don't think it's crazy. And I'll explain why, because you know, I think this for me, this, and like I said, I'll explain why for me, this kind of proves I, one of the things that I've called, I said, look by 2017, we're not going to be talking about Apple versus Google. We're going to be talking about Samsung versus Amazon and probably versus Yahoo. Like that, that, that was, that's going to be the competition. Okay. And I've still got a year and a half for that to be right. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think this proves that Yahoo, I think this, this proves that point that Yahoo's going to be a major competitor. And the reason being is that Yahoo, you have to understand before, you know, other than, uh, Microsoft and I guess Amazon, but Amazon wasn't really collecting things. I mean, like, You know, Google now is good because it can use Gmail. It can use all the Google services. It can use data from all the Google services that you put in there. But understand Yahoo's been around 10 years longer than Google ever was. And there's still millions of email accounts that people still use. That have been around for so long. I mean, they have tons of data to grab. Then they also have everything from Tumblr. Uh, and in fact, Tumblr is a really this is another advantage that they have is because if they can use Tumblr's data, Tumblr is a very uh, uncensored network. OK, and people will be very open and very deep. Uh, you know, with I mean, you know, porn, nudity, uh, poetry, all kinds of stuff, stuff that they'd never share on Google Plus. That's for sure. Stuff they'd never share on Facebook or, you know, really anywhere else. Tumblr is a very unique animal. And I think that's this is a major power play on Yahoo's part. And like I said, I've used, you know, uh Yahoo has a they bought out a company called Aviate that uh, that does a launcher for Android. And I used it for a little while and it was really for, again, it's not dApps, but for what it is, Yahoo Aviate is a really good UI. It's a really good launcher, uh, you know, skin on Android. I, I liked it a lot, what it did. Okay. But keep in mind, I mean, Yahoo is, and you know, this is the thing too, is that I think Yahoo is very much ahead of its time. We talk about technology being cyclical. Okay. And I think the world is pretty much ready now Okay, for and I've said this before, but I think the world is kind of ready for this, like one company creating your entire internet experience and ecosystem. Yahoo tried to do that before, and people said they were nuts for doing it. Okay, Um, but you know it's it's something now that people kind of accept. And so I think I think this is going to be huge. I think Index will could has the potential to blow all of the other personal assistant software out of the water. Maybe not Cortana, because Microsoft might be the ones that have a lot you know, depending on what they're doing with Outlook over the years and whatever, um, I, you know, Microsoft Cortana might still be the winner. But Yahoo's going to be a big deal. This index has the potential to be to be something massive. So I still think that, you know, that 2017, the idea that it's going to be Samsung versus Amazon versus Yahoo uh, is an absolute reality as, as far as them being the, the big three uh, in Silicon uh, Valley. So, you know, and in fact, t- to kind of highlight this, this this is interesting um, on Twig. This past week, that's this week in Google, which is on the Twit network, um, the Mike Elgin, Leo Laporte, Jeff Jarvis and uh, Danny Sullivan were all there. And speaking of things, I called, I want to get this out there. Then I, I promise we're going to get into the main story. I know I've been doing a, a long intro segment. OK, but they they admitted to a couple things that I've talked about. One is, is that Google was such a huge company that there was literally a or not literally, but figuratively a bloody civil war within Google. And it ended up with the company completely changing directions with where it was going. And it ended up with Vic Gundotra leaving. Okay. Because what Vic Gundotra was doing is much what I was saying Yahoo has done in the past and what they're probably trying to do again, where everything integrated to Google plus real name policy, all that good shit. Okay. And I, yeah, I think that uh, you know, I think that really happened. I think there was a time where maybe, I mean, yes, Google was you know created largely out of you know various state departments and whatever. I I think that's there's there's plenty of evidence for that uh, that that happened. But there was a time where I think a lot of people, a lot of Googlers, were not evil people, and that they wanted to actually like really do amazing things. Um, and you know, then the, the civil war occurred within the company, and that uh, you know really really changed. Um, but the other thing that they talked about, and, and I thought this was really, really vindicating, was that they admitted, uh, Danny Sullivan in particular, but then everybody else agreed with him. And Danny Sullivan's from Search Engine Land, so he'd he know. He's a guy that studies all this shit. <laughs> you know, not just not just Google, but Bing and DuckDuckGo and all that. Um, but he admitted that Google cannot do local. They suck at local services. Like they and, and for whatever reason, they just can't pull it off and that their very business model doesn't let it happen. He admitted this uh, on, on Twig this week. And I thought that was so fantastic because I've said this. I said, look, if we actually had freed markets, if we had a free market, if there were not governments, if there wasn't corporatism for these corporations and governments, you know, to, to be in bed with each other, that local businesses would wipe the floor with Apple, with Google, with Microsoft. You take your pick of the company. They'd, they'd it it'd be over. And I think that everybody realizes that now Um, and Google is proving the point that that when you get that size, you know, there's tradeoffs and a lot of them are negative. So I, I thought that was really, really vindicating to hear. So, like I say, when I say Sovereign Tech is known as show prep by everybody else, boy, I think this week and pretty much a lot of weeks we talked about it last week too, uh, in in last week's episode that, you know, a lot of it ends up becoming very, very few weeks ago, you know, that all the stuff ends up coming very, very uh, real. So anyway, um, let's get into the main story, because this main story is really, really important. And this story got shared around uh, quite a bit and got sent to me, actually, uh, which don't worry, we still have a tech roulette to get to this week, because that's another doozy of a topic. Um, but general this is from Extreme Tech, and the headline is, "General Motors, John Deere want to make tinkering, self-repair illegal." This is by Joel Ruska. "The ability to modify a vehicle you've purchased is, in many ways a fundamental part of America's car car culture, and to some extent, embedded in our culture, period. From the Fast and Furious saga to Han Solo's quote, she may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts, kid. I've made a lot of special modifications, end quote. We value the right to tinker. More practically, that right can be critically important when it comes to fixing heavy farm equipment. That's why it's significant that companies like John Deere and General Motors have joined forces to argue that, no, you don't actually own, you don't actually, I'm going to read it again, you don't actually own the equipment you purchase at all. The tractor and farm equipment manufacturer doesn't mince words quote in the absence of an express written license in conjunction with the purchase of the vehicle to operate its software. The vehicle owner receives an implied license for the life of the vehicle to operate the vehicle subject to any warranty limitations, disclaimers or other contractual limitations in the sales contract or documentation. End quote. If that doesn't read like Microsoft's Windows EULA. I don't know what does. No, you don't own this. You're licensed to operate. Reading on GM, meanwhile, alleges that, quote, proponents incorrectly conflate ownership of a vehicle with ownership of the underlying computer software in a vehicle, end quote. The problem with these arguments is that while existing software laws confirm that individuals are licensing code rather than purchasing it when they buy a license from Adobe or Microsoft, the cases in question did not generally anticipate that the code would be used to artificially create extremely high barriers to repair. As tractors have gone high tech, John Deere has aggressively locked away critical information needed for adjusting either aspects of the vehicle's timing and performance to the necessary information to troubleshoot problems. Kyle Wines wrote about this issue a few months back, noting how John Deere's own lockouts and high tech, quote unquote, solutions has supposedly caused a spike in demand for older, simpler vehicles. Farmers, it seems, don't like having to pay expensive technicians. As a result, the used tractor business is booming. Now, Stanley, I want to I want to cut in here. Okay, I got I got so much I want to say about this. Do you know how often I have to defend the idea that I think computers should not be in cars? And all I ever get, all the man of tomorrow ever gets is, oh, well, haven't you ever flown a plane? Those are software computers. Yes, I've flown in a plane, but I don't own the plane. And I wouldn't hash out, you know, six, seven figures for one either. It's a lot different when we're talking farm equipment or cars. But this is the thing is that now these companies are coming out straight up and they're saying to you. No, because this has a computer, because this has software, because software gets licensed, you know, as recognized by the UN, the US, you take your pick, you don't have control of it. And then people, and, and then people are like, well, okay, so you don't own the software. But guess what? If they decide to take away your software, this is what people have talked about with Windows for years, is that if someone, if, if Microsoft said, we no longer allow you use of Windows, we, they could rip it away from your computer and you can't use it. Okay, fine. But here's the difference from that. This is even worse than that, is that if John Deere says, okay, we will not let you use the software anymore, and they take it away, it's now, you, you'd say, well, someone's going to come up with an open source software that will allow, because if, if it doesn't have the software, the John Deere or the car is not going to run. And so people will say, well, you can just, you know, you're going to put in, uh you know, you could put in an open source software. No, it's illegal. No, you're not going to put in anything else. It's fucking illegal for you to do it. That's the problem. It's not as simple as saying, well, you can just put in your own shit. No, if John Deere, t- you know, says whatever that you can't even put in a new computer into the car or, you know, or into the tractor or GM perhaps with cars or whatever, then and it's illegal, well, I mean, then you've got there's a cost to pay for that. Whereas if you just used things that worked fine and dandy before, like cars before 96 or John Deere tractors that used to last for decades or even hundreds of years, believe me, I used to own a John Deere tractor. I'd send that thing in for repairs every you know two months as to where my grandfather had a john deere tractor i i mean if he fixed it himself you know from time to time but that thing was still cranking and now there's a whole market for this i think this is amazing there's an entire market and this is going to happen in the car industry too where there's going to be a market for cars before you know they had odb2 before 1996 i promise you that's going to happen because you don't have control. And it's not a matter of, there. it just isn't, you know, you can't, we, well, okay, fine. They don't want me to use their software. I'll just put an open source thing in. If you modify that computer, it's illegal. You can do it anyway? Fuck yeah, you can. That's fine, okay? But let's be clear, for the average person, this is going to be a real fucking problem. Now, I want to read on. Both companies go on to assert that the Copyright Office shouldn't consider allowing tractor owners or car enthusiasts make any sort of modifications to their vehicles because doing so might enable piracy through the vehicle entertainment system. Oh, shit. While this is theoretically possible in a modern car, I suppose, if improbable, it's downright laughable in a tractor. That's right. Farmer John might just end up watching Furious 7 on his tractor. What kind of an argument is that? Reading on a new tractor can cost upwards of a hundred thousand dollars. Is anyone seriously going to pirate one direction CDs while plowing, while plowing a field? The other argument that users will abuse these capabilities to engage in unsafe or dangerous activities ignores the fact that Americans enjoyed the level of this level of tweaking and tuning for decades. True, a modern computer system might make it easier to modify certain characteristics, but it's not as if the concept of tuning a car got invented alongside OBD2. John Deere makes a number of scare tactic allegations around the very idea of a modifiable tractor, including this gem, quote, Third-party software developers, pirates, and competing vehicle manufacturers will be encouraged to free-ride off the creativity and significant investment in research and development of innovative and leading vehicle manufacturers, suppliers, and authors of vehicle software. The beneficiaries of the proposed exemption will not be individual vehicle owners who allegedly want to repair, redesign, or tinker with vehicle software, but rather third-party software developers or competing vehicle manufacturers who, rather than spending considerable resources to develop software from scratch, Instead, would be encouraged to circumvent TPMs in order to make unauthorized reproductions of and derivative works based on the creativities of others. End quote. Just in case you're confused, we're still talking about tractors, not someone stealing the crown intellectual property of an of a a literary genius. Now, of course, Stalin cutting in. I don't care. I think IP is bullshit. Okay, intellectual property is nonsense. But. Saying that somehow there's IP on a tractor? Holy shit. Reading on. I've never modded my car, and I haven't been near a tractor in decades. But the reason this fight matters is directly rooted in the ability to repair anything. With multiple manufacturers shoving the concept of an Internet of Things to be hacked full throttle, how long before basic appliance repair has become something you can only perform with allianced? with a licensed technician. It's not an altogether crazy concept device and, app- and appliance manufacturers have fought to build repair monopolies for decades in various industries with generally limited success. Thanks to the DMCA and the rules of software licensing, those efforts would could finally succeed in the 21st century as the internet of things to be hacked advances. Virtually everything can be locked off and limited to those shops that can afford sophisticated diagnostic equipment, thereby limiting your, User choice and freedoms. Now, be aware of this because some people will say, "Well, I'll just use open source hardware. I'll just use instead of Nest, I'll use uh, you know a, a Cyanogen mod Nest or whatever in my home." But what happens when a company? As things get more and more monopolized, what happens when a company, when the when National Grid says you cannot use that open source, uh, uh, you know, nest, you're going to have to use the real nest and that you and you don't have control. This is the danger. This is corporatism. Okay, but I want to be clear on this because you know I I'm I'm a car lover. I love cars. I've talked about cars quite a few times. Okay, I have a deep passion for them, and I've had friends in the past. I've had personal mechanics, things of this nature, okay, in my life, and I've talked to these guys, and a lot of them will tell you mechanics from the 70s and 80s. They will admit to you, and go and ask them if you don't believe them. They will admit to you that companies like GM, Ford, and others said we plan on. Eliminating your jobs, talking to the mechanics, we are going to make it to where cars don't get repaired anymore. People will just buy new ones. They they were forthright with it. People will admit this to you that that's what they wanted to do, and this is that dream come true. There is, in my opinion, there is nothing, and people keep telling me there is, and bullshit. This is a repair racket. There is nothing that a computer you can that that nor a, a hardware trick that you could repair yourself, couldn't do, that a computer could do, adding it in to, uh, you know, to your car. And don't say GPS, because most people are using their smartphones for Google Maps and GPS anyway, because for whatever reason, it's better than generally what gets pre-installed into the, into the, the car. No, 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 no. This is all about control. Computers and cars, all about control. This is not about making more efficient firings of spark plugs. And with tractors? With tractors?! You want to, you know, how about I get a little conspiratorial on you? Gee, we need to do something about the whole food supply thing. We need to cut off a country's food supply. I know. Let's turn off the software that's running all these tractors. Yes, I'm saying Tesla is a bad fucking idea. I'm saying self-driving cars are a bad fucking idea. I'm saying that, you know, in so many of these things that people rely upon for such important stuff, it's one thing if you have your computer, you know, there's there's ways around that. We talk about Libreboot X200, all that stuff. You know, that, that might be one thing. Even that's bad enough. What Windows, what Microsoft has been calling for years has been bad enough. Hopefully one day they'll change it. Maybe Windows will go open source and then that license bullshit won't matter anymore. Okay, you know, all these things, I mean, all that's bad enough, but when it's stuff that. We're where lives are on the line, perhaps even more than your own. Consider what farming does for people. Yes, this is serious. This is a problem. And it's about being the the ability to repair anything, because if it's illegal to repair or to modify something, and if all your homes are completely interconnected, you've just lost total control of your very own living conditions. Fuck yeah, I'm yelling about it. Because I warned the shit out of this stuff, and I got so much heat from people in the Bitcoin space, in the tech space, saying, Brian, that's fucking insane that uh, you wouldn't want a computer in your car. Oh, yeah? Tell that to John Deere and GM, baby. So what's the solution to all this? Well, fortunately, the solution's simple. I mean, the market's already doing it. The market's already answering it. People are there's a market now for old tractors, just like there should be a market for old cars. Send the market signal. Stop buying this new shit. Okay, send the market signal that says we don't want this. It can work. People didn't want Google Glass. That market signal got sent loud and clear. And I know some people say, well, Google Glass really isn't dead. They just put in a new Bluetooth device to be, uh, you know, a petition to the FCC or, or, you know, to the patent office or whatever. No, it's dead. OK, it really is dead. That whole notion, you know, is, is, is gone, no matter how hard they keep trying. OK, at the end of the day, Google Glass is just it's the proverbial Nintendo power glove. All right. Bad implementation is a bad implementation so that's it don't buy into it demand better use different there's still plenty of you know plenty of cars and all this stuff stop buying all the all you know all the new crap stop getting excited about it send the message that you want control of your devices whether it's the device that plows the field the device that controls your thermostat or the device that takes you to the hospital when you need it send the signal it's not hard I'll be back with more of this sovereign tech.
1: Hypercronius.
0: It's coming! It's coming! April 27th! It'll be here! Woo! Hypercronius! Finally! <laughs> Woo!
1: Woo!
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. If you'll excuse me. Uh, you're not Natalia. Who are you? Oh, hello, Mr. Sovereign. Natalia is
1: on another mission.
0: I'm Elizabeth. I'm here to debrief you. I'd love for you to debrief me, but uh, how did you get in my room?
2: The bellboy let me in.
0: Well, hooray for the bellboy. Tech Roulette. It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover the stories that get sent in to me through all the possible channels or all the channels that are available to you. And, of course, you can go to SovereignTech.ninja. There is the Contact Us tab, and there's plenty of ways to get in touch with the show. All of them are there. There's even a form that you can just use there if you don't want to use anything to be able to get in touch with me. You don't have to give me your name. Don't have to give me your email address unless you want me to get back with you. Uh, y- you know, you can use all the, all that to send me stories and, uh, and whatever else. And uh, this week, boy, we've, we've got it. We've got a doozy, uh, it's something, you know, and it's something I'm actually really, you know, I'm not putting as far as blockchain technology. I'll admit to you, I'm not putting a whole lot of faith in that somehow being, I, you know, this this like major freeing force. I think a lot of people are really riding it like saying, oh, this is going to set it all free, you know, blockchain technology, because nobody can control it. Nobody can control decentralization, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I think that's a fallacy. OK, I think that it takes uh, some stewardship. You know, and and some, you know, personal awareness to, you know, technology is just a tool. So. This will be one of the you know, I there's a, a I mentioned the blog earlier. There is a blog post I want to make about Bitcoin that I will be doing uh, very soon. And other than that, though, you know, it's not something like I don't want to make it like I've said before. I don't know how you can make a whole show around uh, blockchain technology. And we'll touch on that a little bit more here, uh, you know, or or how you can even. You know, make a show about Bitcoin and, you know, alone. I mean, it's just it's, it's mind boggling to me that that one can do that and keep it interesting, keep it fresh and see what's happening with it. And, you know, all these developments or whatever. Um, so it's not something I plan on talking about much anymore because I really, you know, I, I don't see it as being a freeing force and at least not on its own. And to prove the point, I want to tell you this week the story of Ripple. Now, I've mentioned Ripple before, actually very recently, because they talked about they wanted to uh, have they wanted to have confirmed IDs as and they wanted like copies of your driver's license, all this bullshit, you know, so that you could operate within their confirmed network. OK, I mentioned that recently. And of course, you know how I feel about I.D. systems. If you don't know how I feel about I.D. systems, please go back to the episodes. There's tyranny of identification uh, or tyranny of identity and tyranny of a reputation. Both of those will explain how I feel about I.D. systems. So but let, let's read this. This is from Cointelegraph by uh, Joseph Young, and it's Ripple directs Bitstamp to freeze funds of former co-founder Jed McCaleb. And believe me, what I'm about to describe to you has a little much wider implications than just Ripple. It's rippling out there. <laughs> the ripples are being felt everywhere, right? Ripple, reading on, the so-called decentralized payment network, has frozen funds worth more than U.S. $1 million that belong to the company's former co-founder, Jed McCaleb. Since their initial launch, Ripple has represented themselves to the public as a payment network of, quote unquote, decentralized gateways that convert different assets or types of payments, such as Bitcoin or PayPal, into IOUs tradable in the Ripple network. Okay, so now about the easiest way I can think of stallion breaking in to describe Ripple is that. Like So Bitcoin is is unique or not unique. It was unique. It was new. It was original in that it was the currency and the payment processor in the same tech, you know, in, in the same uh, bundle. But I think more people think of Bitcoin as the currency, not so much as the payment processor. OK, as to where Ripple is the antithesis of that, it is the opposite of that, where it's more about the payment processor than it is about the currency that exists within it, which is uh, XRP. Okay, as compared to like, you know, Bitcoin is BTC. So that's kind of the best way, the simplest way, because Ripple was very confusing for a long time, still is, I think, in a large way. Um, But we're seeing the reality of it uh, play out here as we go on with the story. But that's about the easiest way I can think to describe Ripple to you. So reading on. On August 1st, 2014, Ripple introduced a feature called quote-unquote balance freeze which allowed the network's gateways to freeze and prevent funds from being traded an action that they claimed was necessary to protect the gateway's wallets from being compromised or in the case that ripple would be quote-unquote called upon uh free called upon freeze funds by the authorities who the hell are those authorities i guess that's subjective <laughs> Uh, Ripple introduced two different methods for the, quote, freeze protocol extension, end quote. The first method is known as the global freeze and allows gateways to freeze all of their issued funds. The second allows the gateways to freeze funds of a particular user while the frozen funds are sent back to the gateway. As explained in a Ripple Labs document, this feature gave Ripple permission to freeze accounts in the following circumstances. One. One. They notice suspicious or unusual activity is noticed on an individual account. Think SAR with banks, and we know how bad those are. Two funds are being held during a dispute resolution. Three, a gateway's terms of use are violated by an individual account. Ripple Labs asked Bitstamp, one of their many uh, one of their many payment gateways. So Bitstamp is a payment gateway. Okay, and that is, you know, there's exchanges whatever and the gateway is, okay, so some you put Bitcoin or even, you know, PayPal USD whatever into the Ripple network, into the Ripple payment network, okay? And a gateway is an area where that where in because when it goes into there it becomes XRP essentially. And then the gateway is where you can pull out that XRP and and at that gateway, whatever that gateway is, like Bitstamp is obviously Bitcoin, it can come out as you know, whatever that gateway allows for. Okay. Or, well, I guess Bitstamp's an exchange, so it could come out as cash too, right? Maybe. So anyway, but that's what a gateway is. It's what, that's an area where XRP can be converted into whatever you needed based upon the value of the XRP, if I've got all this right. So uh, reading on, Ripple asked Ripple Labs asked Bitstamp, one of their many payment gateways, to place an individual freeze on the funds of McCaleb, On March 21st, after the company discovered that the former co-founder tried to trade 96 million XRP, McCaleb and Ripple signed a contract in the earlier days of Ripple that basically stated that McCaleb was only allowed to sell or trade weekly batches of XRP worth at most 10,000 U.S. dollars. According to Ripple, however, McCaleb tried to trade 96 million XRP worth around $1 million in a single batch, which they claim broke the agreement. Ripple instantly demanded Bitstamp reverse the funds and returned all 96 million XRP to McCaleb. So before I read on here a little bit, essentially, Joseph McCaleb was trying to cash out of Ripple. And if he did that, if he cashed out of all those XRP, yeah, I mean, it would have been it would have really affected uh, the payment network. (laughs) I mean, you know, might have nosedived. I mean, that that's I don't think that's theoretical. So. And originally, when this story came out, people didn't know about the fact that apparently there was a signed deal. And this is debatable, okay? because it's Ripple's word against Joseph McCaleb. McCaleb hasn't said whether or not he actually signed that deal uh, that that he could cash out all at once. But hell, I wouldn't sign that deal. You know, I mean, if if that's so, then admittedly, to some degree, that's dumb on McCaleb's part for signing a deal that says, yeah, no, I won't cash out all at once. Uh, You want to be able to have control of your money. And that's what this is all about. Uh, But let's read on Bitstamp which was forced to act as a middleman between Ripple and McCaleb in the dispute between the two has filed a lawsuit in California district court to determine whether McCaleb has breached the contract and to settle the ownership of the frozen funds. During the hearing, a representative of Bitstamp stated quote, Bitstamp was unable to resolve this demand with Ripple labs. Given our inability to our, uh, to ourselves determine the fact underlying the ownership dispute, we decided that an interpleader fi- uh, filing was the proper approach. Indeed, it is the only method of resolve or method to resolve disputes in these difficult circumstances. End quote. All that is required for ripple to freeze user funds is to notify them of suspicious. That's them being the gateways of suspicious or unusual activity in their accounts. And to simply ask the gateways to freeze or even reverse the funds speculations arise among Bitcoin enthusiasts, whether ripple can still call themselves a quote, decentralized payment network, end quote. Now, one of the things that I was sold on very early on with Bitcoin, and let's be clear, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people make the case that these alternatives, altcoins or whatever, which Ripple is kind of, you know, it's a little bit different than, than just an altcoin. But a lot of these alternatives are great experimental grounds to see what can happen with things. Okay, when you try it, when you try setting it up in this way. Uh, You know, or or that way, you know, different from what the Bitcoin core does. So one of the things that Bitcoin was pitched to me as is that, look, this is going to give you control of your money. Okay, that means that when banks freeze your accounts and all this stuff, that shit can't happen in a decentralized cryptocurrency system. That's what I was told. And I want to be clear. That Gavin Andreessen, Gavin Andreessen, came to us, us being, not to use a collective, but unfortunately, us being members of the Free State Project, members of Free Talk Live in New Hampshire. He came to us and said, hey, I know you guys like to have control of your money. Hey, I know you guys like sound money, honest money, all this stuff. Bitcoin's your future. This is true. Ask him. He came to us. You know, it's kind of like, I hate to use this line, but it's like, you know, Plymouth Rock, or we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. Well, we didn't land on Bitcoin. Bitcoin landed on us. Anarchists, libertarians, take your pick of the term. It did. It was pitched to us. So, but look at this ripple story. No, no, no. Apparently, in a decentralized system, you can get your account frozen. You can be told what your money can and can't do. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie that somehow cryptocurrencies would keep this from happening because it happened. One of the uh, original ideas about Bitcoin that really excited me and a lot of other people said this, I didn't come up with this, but I think it's very true. And I, could, I think, you know, unconsciously, uh, I, I felt it and I think it, it, it's a great feeling that Bitcoin was like the first kind of piece, the first piece of property, like the first money, you know, or, you know, if you want to call it a commodity or whatever, you know, you're, take your definition for what you will, was the first thing that you actually owned because no government issued it. And I think that's a beautiful thing to think that you could own something that you own and that nobody has control over. Well, guess what? In a decentralized system, I imagine a lot of people might have felt the same way about XRP. I guess that's not true. Because you can be told what to, you know, the Ripple Network, that's not even, look, the Ripple Network's not even the government. That's not even the Federal Reserve, which I know the Federal Reserve's private, blah, 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 whatever, fuck it, okay? I know that. But the Ripple Network, Ripple Labs said to Bitstamp, freeze that shit. You're the gateway. You want to work with us? You close that stuff down. It didn't take law. It didn't take anything. All it took, it didn't take a gun. It didn't take the tyranny of the gun. It took the tyranny of the code that I've warned about for so long on Sovereign Tech. That's all it took. And it took a very select small group of guys talk about democratization of money. Bullshit. When a little group of guys can say what can happen to even a th- co-founder's money. Don't try to leave the boys club, McCaleb, because the boys club won't let you leave. Now there's a lot more to say about this. So I, th- I think it's important to point out that this You know, this new feature, as they call it, (laughs) I'd say it's a bug if there ever was one. This new feature was very quietly put in. Like, I didn't hear a whole lot of stink from the Ripple community. Of course, granted, I didn't necessarily know there was such a huge Ripple community. But apparently there is. In fact, lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy has informed me that there's even small community banks that make use of Ripple. So this is serious. This is out there. Okay, but this got snuck in and they probably said something to the effect You know, the the guys at Ripple Labs said, look, if we want to work with the banks, we just we got to put in this this feature, this little feature here, this little feature here, and then we can work with them. then then everybody will start adopting it. Right. And that's how it always starts. Compromise. Compromising of principles, the principle of decentralization. And I'd argue that's a principle. And when is this going to happen with Bitcoin? I didn't say if. When? When is it going to be? I mean, Andreessen's Gavin Andreessen's already talked about it. We need to make some significant changes to core. He's said that. okay. and this all goes, you know, I mean, boy, where you can really uh, was his name. Kent Beck, the guy that came up with extreme programming in the 90s. This can really all go back to him. You know, this idea that you just, you know, you keep improving, improving and improving fast. The thing is, when you keep improving so quickly. Because before then, people didn't do that, you know, fast releases and all that, you know, this 0.01 and 0.02 and 0.03 release structure. Uh, you know, that's how this stuff can get snuck in. And like I said, Gavin Andreessen has said, yeah, we want this feature into Bitcoin, this feature into Bitcoin, some of which may seem very benign. Just as I'm sure some of these freeze features were were seemingly very benign by Ripple users. And now it didn't just screw the users, it screwed one of the co-founders. It went right to the top. Follow the money. Follow it where? Yeah, all the way to the top, right? And it fucked them too. So, again, you know, even even more uh, to say on this whole issue, because like I said, I think it branches, it reaches out. It is an example of what can happen. With any uh, of these cryptocurrencies, in my opinion. You know, you look at Dogecoin, that's another interesting thing this week. Dogecoin, which I've infamously, notoriously stated, I think is a running joke, would appear to have been just that because the lead guy for Dogecoin left. See you later. I'm on hiatus. I'm going on vacation. This this cryptocurrency space is toxic. Blah blah blah. I'm gone. And you look at like the liquidity numbers for Dogecoin and and like you, it's all fake. Like those numbers are ridiculous. And please, if you don't believe me on that, I'd like to quote you about the the, the Willy report, where I had said on Sovereign Tech long before I said, look, the numbers that Bitcoin are showing is not possible. There's not enough fiat. It's not possible. And then the Willie report came out and guess what? Golden Stallion was right. One more time. The whole Dogecoin thing is a farce and I think the guy is getting out while the getting's good. And maybe that's what McCaleb's doing, too. He's getting out while the getting's good, because everybody's realizing, holy shit, all this is just going to end up getting controlled by central banks or by, you know, by governments or whatever else. None of the you know, this is all this is completely out of our hands. This is not going to be that freeing force. There's not going to be any more serious money to be made. Everything's probably going to be stable, blah, blah, blah. I mean, who knows what? That's a lot of supposition on my part. Okay, but people are running away from the whole notion. When you have what, what all this in the end, what all this says to me is that this is what happens when you try to have these technologies reach out to everybody. This is what happens. When you when you try to to dumb it down, if people don't understand the technology, if they don't have a foundation, perhaps even a philosophical foundation, if people aren't educated on how these things work, you know, this shit like what happened with Ripple, probably what's going on with Dogecoin and what will likely happen with Bitcoin. Is going to happen. This is what happens when you reach out to grandma. They become weak links in the chain. You know, I think a lot of people have been feeling pretty hopeful about Bitcoin as of late because, uh, you know, uh, Olivier Janssen's came out with that tremendous report saying that, you know, hey, uh, yeah, the Bitcoin Foundation, they're they. Pretty much bankrupt. This is terrible. You know, we need to think of something else. And everybody's like, "All right, good. It's out there." You know, a lot of a lot of the anarchists in the Bitcoin space, a lot of the, you know, really philosophically minded people in the Bitcoin space are like, "Good. This is now official. We can move on and do other things." And what amazingly happens a couple weeks after after that that report from uh, from Olivier Jansen's, which we read on this show, suddenly at MIT in the Media Lab, which isn't necessarily a, a, a bad place, but there's certainly some bad money and uh, and and people that have uh, some say in there that shouldn't have some say, but they're coming out. They have created the digital currency initiative. Gavin Andreessen is heading it. And I'm telling you right now, this digital currency initiative is the Bitcoin Foundation 2.0. And interestingly enough, two weeks ago, Olivier Janssen said, beware, people are trying to recreate the Bitcoin Foundation under another name. And I think this is it. And put the two together, look at Ripple Labs, look at the Bitcoin Foundation. Or with the digital currency initiative, where Andreessen said this specifically, where you know a lot of developers and all that stuff, you know, will be working whatever. You have those centralized areas of control where freeze, you know, freeze orders and whatever else can be, you know, pushed out. I think, yeah, I the digital. I'll say that straight up the the digital currency initiative terrible thing, terrible thing, bad idea. This stuff, like uh, like like some have have said, needs to be like the whole funding of development. Okay, it needs to be far more democratized where more people are involved. But then it also requires it needs to be funded on autopilot somehow. And if I think of something, believe me, I will share how that's going to be done. But so earlier, like when we were talking about John Deere and General Motors, what do we do about this? Well, I think the only thing you can do is keep it is keep these things in perspective, keep any currency in perspective, keep any technology in perspective, that it's just a tool. okay. and that maybe Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ripple, take your pick, okay, is not in and of itself the uh, you know, you know, the, the the great freer, you know, it's not what's going to unshackle everybody. Because believe me, Bitcoin is, you know, Coinbase is essentially a Ripple gateway, right? And I mean, how many people are using that? Take your pick of of whatever. A lot of these exchanges end up being gateways. Okay, so the best thing, and I've said this many times, people need to keep direct control of their currency. And Bitcoin would eventually have to be used as the currency itself, not as U.S. dollars. And that, you know, people will say, well, it'll take forever before people think of a car is costing two Bitcoins instead of $2,000 or something. Yeah, But it wouldn't take forever if you kept Bitcoin within the area that actually needs it. Which I've talked about all the time, you know, many, many times. The people that the law snubs. Stop trying to reach out to all these people because this is these are the byproducts of what happens is that you lose control. If you're going to hand over control of your money to gateway systems, which, again, I, I think there's a lot of them being created within Bitcoin as well. If you're going to hand all that stuff over to that. Well, then just don't expect to control and, and and don't go telling people that Bitcoin is finally the money for the people, because it's not. Bitcoin is only the democratization of money if everybody has direct control of their funds. No banks, no companies, no, you know, none of this exchange nonsense, not like we think of it right now. Anyway, no, there can't be any men in the middle. There can't be any third parties It's got to be absolute direct control, because if you allow for anything else, you allow for what happened to McCaleb at Ripple. But this is the direction that the industry seems to be going. And so I lose my interest in it. I lose my hope in it. But keep in mind that it is just money. And like any other money, use it to achieve, you know, just use it to achieve your goals, but don't make it the goal. Use it to achieve your aims. Use cash to achieve your aims. Use whatever it takes to achieve your aims, your goals, your dreams. But don't make it your dream. Don't, 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 don't confuse the two. The only freedom you're ever really going to get is personal freedom. And there's technologies that can help with that, but it's important to remember that they are just tools. But keep in mind also, what happens when you relinquish your your hand on that tool? Anyway, I wonder what's going to happen next. I'll be back with more. This is Avotov.
1: time now for 90 seconds on sex with Dr. Paul.
2: Two of the more common urban myths about sexuality that refuse to die are that men think about sex every seven seconds, and that men think about sex way more often than women do. Researchers have found that the college-age males they studied think about sex once an hour on average, and the women they studied think about sex every two hours. Of course, this can vary greatly from person to person and from hour to hour. Now, for me, the most interesting finding is that college students think about sleep and food as often, if not more often, than they think about sex. That's right, sleep and food. A factor that can influence a woman's sexual thoughts is if she feels discomfort about her sexuality or if she worries that others will think badly of her for being interested in sex. If that's the case, she'll be less likely to have sexual thoughts or less likely to admit to others that she has sexual thoughts. Also, keep in mind that not all sexual thoughts are created equal. They can range from a brief and fleeting stirring that lasts maybe a millisecond or so, to an elaborate sexual fantasy that can cause a tent in your pants, or wetness in a woman. Researchers need to explore which types of sexual thoughts we have more of, and if there's a difference in the kind of sexual thoughts that men and women have.
1: For more, visit 90SecondsOnSex.com I just received an encrypted message from Decentral with your next mission, and it looks like I'm coming along.
0: Why, Elizabeth, I wouldn't have it any other way. You're clearly good at staying on top of things.
1: It helps when one's
2: partner is very skilled.
0: No, no, we can have more fun later. What does the message say?
2: Important
0: Messages It is time for important messages where I cover emails and messages and bit messages and tweets and whatever gets sent my way. Uh, And of course you can go to SovereignTech.Ninja. There's the contact us tab, hit on that and there's plenty of ways to get in touch with the show. Some anonymous, some, whatever you want to use. It's uh, it's there for you. And of course at the top of SovereignTech.Ninja are all of my social media accounts, even my steam ID. I mean, you know, tune in all all great ways. And of course the, uh, for the show, the RSS feed for the show is also up there. Uh, and then there's also push bullet if you want to, you know, that's something else on the left-hand side of the page is push bullet where like when I put out these blog posts that I mentioned, I do, you know, send them out through push bullet, uh, new episodes come out through push bullet, uh, lots of options. I did get some emails from people, or I I got at least one email. And so, you know, if anyone else has experienced this, let me know that, Uh, Sometimes the Sovereign Tech podcast feed uh, doesn't update. And if you're experiencing that, please do let me know. I noticed last week's episode, granted, the sound quality was a little rough last week, and maybe that was the dude, maybe that's what caused the low listens. But I noticed last week's episode uh, didn't get the usual numbers. Not that I'm concerned about that, really. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I just wonder, Okay, so, you know, what happened? Did something technically happen? That's really my concern with that. Uh, So let me know if you're having issues downloading the show uh, or even if there's a way you'd like to get it that, i don't have available i like to think i've made just about everything available there's soundcloud uh there's you know pretty much every podcast software i use grabs it but maybe yours doesn't but of course it's on itunes as well uh and TuneIn. i mean there's just there's plenty of plenty of ways to listen to the show and we will have the the low bandwidth version the 16 kilobit versions which will be directly hosted on the site those will be coming soon uh as well so Anyway, um, boy, got a lot of messages to get through here. Uh, one thing I actually on Bitmessage, someone has sent me a couple of uh, of movies to uh, to check out, and both of them looked really interesting. I haven't uh, I haven't watched them yet. I don't, you know, <laughs> I often don't have the time to uh, to watch things. But but uh, the two movies, one of them is called App, and um, I was actually. Yeah, I want to check this out. And the other one was Zenith, and that's from 2013, which there's a Zenith from 2010. I think they're two different films. So but I will check these out. But putting that out there, uh, I like to share stuff that I listen to, watch and, and read uh, often enough. So I'm always happy to hear from listeners on what the, they, they like, you know, what they've enjoyed or what they think I might find interesting. And so I will check these these uh, couple movies out uh, at the very least. So, uh, you know, I want to I just I want to put a little addendum on the last segment, look, I'm not saying don't use Bitcoin. OK, I'm not saying don't use NXT. I'm not saying don't use, you know, whatever black. I don't I don't care. Pick your cryptocurrency. Go ahead and use them. I'm just saying keep them in perspective. OK, and don't count on them. Don't don't go around telling people these are going to save everything. And I've, I'm guilty of that, too. I've done it, too. Okay. Uh, the only way and I think cryptocurrency is very much the future. Like when I talk about Dark Android, the really the only way Dark Android is possible. And please go to DarkAndroid.info and you can listen to that episode um, where I laid all that out. And I said this in that episode in that special that I did. uh, And I'll be putting up stories about our Dark Android in the future, too. Um, But I had said that cryptocurrency is what makes living off the grid effectively possible. Okay, like so cryptocurrencies are very important. I just feel that you're going to have to do like, it, you know, something I, I said on social media. I said, look, if I have to, I'll create like my own cryptocurrency and I'll call it like zero domination cash, because I think in the very name it has to say this is about freeing people. You know, this is about. Anarchy. This is about, you know, you know all of that. It needs this is about not having banks. It needs to be really explicit that it's not about that. Otherwise, I think it'll get either a co-opted, uh, you know, or B, someone will use it for something it was never meant to be. Would people still do it anyway? Maybe. But at least then, like the philosophy would be purely uh, laid out. You know, like I talked about that book, the book of Satoshi that Stephanie did the uh, the audio book for. You know, when you read that, you can't help but think that Satoshi was a really libertarian guy. And I've talked about that many times. So I think you kind of you're if if a cryptocurrency that would work. Is to work, you'd have to lay out like really explicitly uh, what it's all about, you know, and I don't buy this that. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, technology is a tool, but if you know the tool isn't necessarily the like cryptocurrency is the tool, but what that cryptocurrency takes the shape of uh, can very much have a philosophy behind it. It doesn't have to be so dumb. Okay. And it can be very freeing. So, uh, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that. Uh, and I'd like to see, you know, maybe someday I will do a coin. I don't, you know, or I will do a cryptocurrency. I don't know. Uh, I don't, I mean, like the real future I see for cryptocurrencies also is the fact that there will be thousands of them. I think that that's a fact. There will be tons of cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrency is the future of money as it is. okay? as we understand money right now. And. You know, within that, I think that what's going to happen is, is there will be, you know, within intentional communities, which is a genuinely freeing force is creating intentional communities within those. I think each one kind of will have their own cryptocurrency that will work within it. Uh, Or maybe they'll do something, you know, completely, completely different. I don't know. Um, But in the end, you know, I think that that's the truth, that there's going to be thousands of these things. And within those, you know, the point of them, kind of like you have. Uh, What is it? Permacoin or permacredits where it has to do with, with permaculture. Like that's the basis of the cryptocurrency. I think that's a fine idea, but it's laid out exactly what that's all about. And maybe that will solve a lot of what I was talking about with Ripple and Bitcoin and Dogecoin, and whatever else is that if it's explicitly you know described what this is for, then we might be able to actually evolve money. In a very real sense and keep it from becoming in any way centralized, you know, centrally controlled, even though a lot of people like Ripple does, they want to use the rhetoric of, you know, that it's uh, decentralized. So I I just wanted to make that clear how I feel about it. You please use whatever you want. okay? and you can donate to the show in a million ways. There's Patreon, which people can use. Uh, There's PayPal. There's Bitcoin, Namecoin, even Litecoin, NXT. There's plenty of ways. I mean, use it. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying keep it in perspective, keep it in its place in your life, and in you know in your in your goals. Uh, so anyway, let's um, let me read on here. Uh, Telegram. Somebody asked me. They said because every time I mention Telegram, which is a software that I recommend uh, people use. Um, I always say, I know, I know people have concerns about Telegram because every time I mention it, people send me another story about Telegram or not another, but they send me the same old ones. They'll either mention how Steve Gibson had concerns about it or they'll send me Moxie Marlin Spikes um, uh, critique of it. Okay. And I know about those. And so, but the person said, you know, could you describe once what exactly the concerns are? And I will very quickly describe what the concerns are that people have uh, with Telegram. Okay. I've done this before, but you know, I I understand people want to know and, and I'll lay it out here. So Moxie Marlinspike, who is the guy behind Open Whisper Systems, which is great. I love Moxie. Great. You know, awesome, awesome cryptographer, uh, you know, encoder. So uh, Moxie Marlinspike's concern was largely that the bounty that was set because Telegram had a like one hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin bounty at that. OK, Uh and this is back when Bitcoin was definitely seen as the money of rebels as to where now it's, you know, certainly not. Um, but uh, but Bitcoin, you know, he, there was that bounty, but the bounty didn't uh, think about it. it didn't include people that were doing or, you know, a man in the middle attack. It was more about uh, the bounty was more about critiquing uh, the code, you know, the empty the proto code. And so but that changed, the, you know, that that has been addressed you know, Telegram said, fine, you know, we'll allow for the the bounty, which a lot of, you know, a decent company will do. They'll put like, OK, you know, we'll give you money if you crack our, you know, if you crack our software. OK, and that's a good thing to do. I like bounties are a good idea uh, in the software world. And so, you know, they set it up and now they do have it set up to where they've addressed Moxie's concerns uh, about that. So, you know, that that one's kind of done and done. The other one that is not solved, and this is all up to personal taste in a large way is that MT Proto is a new uh, encryption protocol, okay? And so because of that, a lot of people are like, why didn't you use ones that are tried and true? And, you know, that, that's, sure, that's a concern. Um, because actually at one point, MT Proto wasn't open source, which was uh, one of Steve Gibson's concerns about it, okay? And uh, now, that, now that all is open source, okay? Uh, so that, that's done and done. But yeah, if you don't trust a new protocol, then, yeah, I understand that you don't want to use uh, a telegram. I do trust it for what it is. I mean, the best, like I've said many times, the best advice is to think that everything you're using uh, is compromised. Right. Um But, you know, I. I. <laughs> I, so when I say trust, I mean, like, there's multiple levels of that, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, I trust Telegram more than I trust Facebook or Google, or, you know, any of the big wig companies or any of the other messaging software out there. Uh, you know, I trust it about as much as I trust OTR, which is off the record, you know, anything they use is off the record. Um, so so that, those are the concerns over Telegram is that, the, you know, the empty proto is a problem. Now, the EFF, if you want another some more validation, the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which I no longer support, uh, said they, you know, they do their security uh, uh, audit checklist uh, for various software. And they gave. Now, if you if you use because there's two ways the Telegram works. One is, is that it, it, it can be done uh, where it's not uh, it's not the encryption isn't done client side. It's done network side. OK, it's still done within the app, but like all the encryption, you know, largely happens, uh, you know, once it gets to, to, you know, Telegram servers or whatever. And when it's done that way, which if you're using the web app or the desktop app, if you're not using an iOS or Android app, you are not using the client side or what's known as secret chat in Telegram. If you're using if you're not using that, it is it rates as four out of seven. OK, on their on their uh, privacy, you know, and security checklist. OK, but if you are using the secret chat, which can only be done on one device and you can't use the cross platform ability, essentially, of, uh, you know, of Telegram, which is one of its advantages. If you use the secret chat, it gets a seven out of seven on their checklist. So if you trust what the EFF does and largely the EFF still really does do great work, I'll admit to that, but. Um, and their checklists are, you know, their audits are, are audits and checklists are pretty good. Uh, then, the, yeah, I mean, Telegram is good if you're using the secret chat feature, which can only be done on Android and iOS devices. OK, but keep that keep that in mind. And it can be done device specific. You cannot carry that conversation between you uh, to another device of any kind. OK, uh, so so those are those are the concerns that that get laid out. I'm aware of them and uh, I move on. Okay, some of them I think have been solved and the other uh, matches my comfort level. Uh, so hopefully that answers that. Uh, got, boy, got a great. <laughs> uh, yeah, Well, you know, while we're talking about Telegram, let me talk about Telebit uh, for a minute. And Telebit is a, this is something that works with Telegram, it allows you to send Bitcoin via the telegram app. And this is a really cool feature, but I got to admit, I had a little problem because I've gotten donations through telebit and I really appreciate those. Um, yeah, again, please, what I said about Bitcoin, please don't misunderstand. I appreciate all the donations I get. They go to good use. So, you know, don't, don't, don't mistake me. Okay. Um, and you know, and please feel free to donate more if you get, uh, you know, if you get use out of sovereign tech and, and other, other things that I do. OK, but Telebit, um, I tried to withdraw some withdraw some of the, the, the funds out of Telebit into another Bitcoin account. And the like the Telebit, it sets up a Telebit account within Telegram, like a, uh, an account, not not like an account. It sets up like a so say you're talking to a friend, that friend has an account and then you have, you know, they're, they're listed as a, as a contact. That's the word I was looking for. It sets up a contact for Telebit. So at one point when I tried to withdraw some funds out of my Telebit contact. The contact just froze and it wouldn't accept any more commands. And so after about a week, week and a half, I, you know, I contacted somebody at Telebit um, and said, you know, hey, I'm trying to get this out here. It's not a substantial sum by any means. Uh, You know, could you, you know, give me a hand? I don't, it won't respond to any, you know, Telebit won't respond to any commands or anything. And, you know, he was, he was very, you know, he was really Johnny on the spot and very helpful, but it was kind of weird because he said that, he, he kind of accused me of spamming. Like he says, you must be spamming a bunch of people. And somehow that, that confused tell a bit. <laughs> I was like, I mean, not, not that I generally walk around with this attitude, but I was kind of like, you don't know who I am. <laughs> okay. Like spamming. I am, you know, I'm the last person on planet earth that would spam anybody for starters. And also uh, you know, I'm not a new kid on the block uh, with a lot of this stuff. And in fact, I'm a pretty, I, because I've talked about Telebit often on the show, I'm pretty sure I'm a pretty big reason why anybody's either A, using Telegram in the first place, or B, using Telebit in the first place. Uh, you know, I'm not, not panning myself on the back here. I'm just saying I thought that was a little crass. Uh, so do be aware that Telebit is something that's still getting worked out. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely a bootstrap feature onto onto Telegram. And so you can expect these kinds of things to happen. But in the end, it did work out. And the guy, I mean, I was talking to one of the co-founders of Telebit. So, uh, you know, it was good to deal with the human. And like I said, he was pretty much Johnny on the spot and had it solved within a few hours. Uh, so but I, I just wanted, you know, full disclosure uh, to, to get that out there. Um, got another uh, another question here. So this was a question uh, that, that actually uh, an email sent to me asking about uh, Star Wars. Last week, we did kind of a Star Wars update during the climax, and uh, she was the listener. And yes, the listener was a she. I, I, don't, I won't reveal who you are unless you want me to name you, but I do do pronouns. Uh, and I'm always happy that, that I have uh, a very, a very you know, strong and, and, and large female listenership on Sovereign Tech. I really appreciate that. Um, so she'd actually asked about Star Wars. And uh, she was kind of wondering, like, what do I th- what do I think about? Because the- with Star Wars, like I said, there's Star Wars Episode seven coming out. Uh, I gave a full update of everything in last week's episode in the climax. So if you want to kind of an update on that, please go back and listen to that. But either way, there's a ton of stuff coming out for Star Wars. One of the things coming out for Star Wars um, are spinoffs. And these uh, these spinoff movies are not going to be like Episode seven, eight, nine. They're going to become something completely separate. One of the ones that's known about is Rogue One. Which she was asking, you know, what's all this going to be about? And Rogue One, I mean, some of this is conjecture on my part, but what it'll be, it'll be about Rogue Squadron, which is this X-Wing Squadron that like Luke Skywalker and, uh, uh, you know, Wedge Antilles you belong to. It's like the, you know, the Rebel Alliance's elite uh, group or perhaps the New Republic, which I don't know if, you know, the New Republic is what comes in place of the Empire. I, but that's in the original um, Expanded Universe. So I don't know if they're still going to call it that. Um in, uh, you know, I don't know if they're still going to call it that in in episode seven, eight, nine, you know, in this new continuity uh, that's going on. So I think that, uh, you know, that that's what that will be about. There's are supposedly going to be spin-off movies that have to do with Boba Fett, who is uh, a character I really enjoy. Um, and also there will, you know, I mean, so there's going to be tons of these and we're not sure of all of them, but those two are ones that we know uh, pretty much will be in existence. And so and like I said last week, I mean everything that Disney's been doing with Star Wars so far has been really good. Uh you know, if not if not great. <laughs> like it's either good, it's good to great. But there hasn't really been a, a necessarily a bad. Um, there's some critiques to be made, but they're they're very, very few. So uh so I, I think the spin-off movies are, are going to be fantastic. Creating a large universe with Star Wars is something that needs to happen. Now another thing that somebody sent to me and I talked about this. I wish I remember the episode, but this is a long, long time ago. So I'm going to talk a little bit more Star Wars here. And, you know, I might even just wrap up the whole show uh, with listener questions. <laughs> OK, uh, but one of the um, w- one of the things brought up to me was about Yoda. Supposedly in a 14th century European manuscript, there is. A uh, you know like the, the this is used to be very commonplace in in illuminated manuscripts or in, in manuscripts in general, uh, in Europe is that there would be little characters doing things off to like the off the side of the page beyond the border, uh, like there there'd be a really like a drawn or gilded border or whatever, and off to the side there'd be characters doing things, and sometimes these characters in these books this is all very real this isn't about this you know initially about Star Wars, um, sometimes these characters are doing some very lewd things at that. I mean, like like sometimes they're having sex. I mean, like sticking horns up people's butts and all this. Stuff. I mean, it's, it's really entertaining to look at. Uh, and it shows how interestingly enough books, particularly in, uh, you know, largely before the, the printing press, but even after the printing press, uh, that books were at one point, a multimedia experience before there was multimedia. Like there was more than one story being told often enough within a book. And there's actually some, some other books that we still haven't figured out what exactly they're trying to say, because they were so much a multimedia, uh, experience in, in, in what they do. Um, and if you want me to talk about some of those books, of course you can get in touch with me at sovereigntech.ninja the contact us tab, and you can ask, and I will talk about it. Um, the so so anyway, so there's this 14th century book that has uh, Yoda, what, what appears to be Yoda with the ears and everything, even wearing a you know cloak looks very much like a Jedi and all of this. Uh, it's very interesting to to look at. And so some people have wondered, what the hell is that? And there's not a whole lot of good explanations for what it is. But what this and, and I didn't know about this uh, up until the person shared this with me. But what I didn't know about beforehand and I've known about it for some time and I think this deserves some exploration. And it, it ties kind of in with the spinoff movies here. Uh, what I didn't know, or what I did know about, was that Yoda is not an original idea by George Lucas. Now, you can, and I've recommended this before to many people you can go to Google, or maybe even, you know, you can duck it. You can go to DuckDuckGo or Bing, take your pick, and type in Yoda in Freemasonry. And you're going to end up with some very interesting things. Uh, If you look at the images, you'll find uh, there's one image where a guy is, you know, in this robe looks like a magician of sorts. And he's like, you know, calling down this, you know, seemingly little demon and the little demon does look like Yoda. And in Freemasonic lore, its name is Yoda. And there's even a painting that's a good 150 years old or so. Uh, That And this one's a little harder to find. But in this painting, Yoda, um, I mean, like he's even green. He has the wrinkly head and like kind of the gray hair all over the place, just like, you know, Yoda from the original trilogy in particular. Uh, And and it looks just like him. So what does all that mean? I mean, and what is this guy? You know, and and, and in, in, in Freemasonry, Yoda is this great teacher, much like he is in the in the Jedi Order. Okay, so, you know, this character of Yoda seems to be a very, very old archetype or very, very old character. Now, the interesting thing about all this is that, you know, George Lucas. I think it's pretty clear when you read if you read the original Star Wars novel by Alan Dean Foster, who also might have been the original creator of the Star Wars universe. uh, That's a bit of a conspiracy theory on my part (laughs) that George Lucas didn't really create Star Wars, Uh, but. George Lucas. He, you know, I don't think he had the idea of Yoda initially. That was a later creation. That was a later addition, because when even when you watch A New Hope, like there's no mention of any Yoda, everything's, you know, Ben, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi trained Anakin Skywalker and all this. And, you know, there's just that character doesn't exist that was added in later. And so what I wonder about is that George Lucas removed his name, essentially, from the screenplay credits for The Empire Strikes Back. And I think that that was a kind of a quiet admission on his part, that a lot of this stuff wasn't his idea. I think two people came in after A New Hope in in The Empire Strikes Back. Two writers came in. One of them was Lawrence Kasdan, who is also charged with writing some of these spinoffs. And uh, he's also a guy that helped write the Indiana Jones films. And I would argue that Lawrence Kasdan, I've said this many times on Sovereign Tech when I've talked about Star Wars, Lawrence Kasdan is very much the guy that made Star Wars, uh, you know, really great that took it to the next level from. I mean, because when you when you watch A New Hope and then you watch Empire Strikes Back, like A New Hope kind of sucks compared to Empire and Return of the Jedi. And and I think Lawrence Kasdan was largely behind that. But then you have the other here's here's the weird character in all of this. A woman named Leia Brackett. She comes in and she actually gets a large writing credit for The Empire Strikes Back. And in fact, in her books, you know, she died before The Empire Strikes Back even came out. Uh, she and, and this is going to get conspiratorial. OK, she was a female science fiction writer of the time, which still was not commonplace. OK, her you know, a lot of her novels that that get you know released now will all come with the author of The Empire Strikes Back on it. And, yeah, again, she died beforehand. Now, her original uh, treatment, you know, script treatment, screenplay treatment, okay, is there's only two copies of it. And I forget which two libraries. I think there's one at Skywalker Ranch. And then there's one, I think, in a library in New Mexico. You can't check it out. There's no other copies of it. Very few people have read it. That's not to say you can't read it, but it'd probably take you a while because I think it's a very long treatment. Uh, But it's interesting. And so I wonder... You know, some people and I'm, I'm just tossing out a little conspiracy here. OK, some I'm not saying I agree with this. Some people like to think that, uh, you know, Hollywood is run by the occult. And so I wonder if Star Wars was just this this out of the blue massive hit, you know, A New Hope in 77. Nobody saw it coming. And then that, you know, whatever, whatever group the lead group said, oh, we need to have a piece of this. And then they started sprinkling in all their occultism like Yoda and others. So total conspiracy theory on my part, uh, you know, and it's interesting that George Lucas later like d- did his damnedest to eliminate uh, any kind of spiritualism or religion out of uh, Star Wars when he got total control of it for the prequels. And notice Lawrence Kasdan wasn't there anymore. And Leia Brackett was dead. But then when Disney and I talked about this, when the the sixth season of the Clone Wars cartoon came out, the the uh, the Clone Wars cartoon when the sixth season. It feels like they weaved in a lot of this dualism and spirituality back into Star Wars as soon as Disney bought it out. And of course, a lot of people accuse Disney of being in a cult thing. Look, I'm just laying this information out there. I'm not saying I agree with any of it. I'm just laying it out there. I definitely don't believe I don't believe George Lucas created Star Wars. I would give that credit to Alan Dean Foster. OK, and maybe lay a bracket, you know, to another to another sense. And, of course, Larry Kazdan. OK, but that's 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 the interesting thing. And so and, and, you know, what lends itself to that? Does this 14th century uh, you know, manuscript with with a shot of Yoda on it? Does that say something? Does Yoda's history in Freemasonry say something? Well, if you consider Freemasonry the occult, then yes, in a very real sense, it's so. Okay, that depends on how you want to define a cult. So I'm just laying that out there. In fact, telling you all this probably completely invalidated any any interesting points I may have made about the crypto space. Uh, But. There you have it. You know, Star Wars is in the news right now. So good. I'm, I'm hitting I'm hitting the high notes, you know, Bitcoin and and, and Star Wars. <laughs> so and anyway, it looks like this episode also, I am not going to be doing a hack stack or I am not going to be doing a tool of the week. But I have a couple of great ones. Uh, one of them having from a listener actually having to do with for hack sec, having to do with uh, a guy thinking he's getting ads sent in through uh, some hypersonic watermarks while he's watching TV. <laughs> I mean, really wild stuff. Uh, so we will talk about then. Um, but I got another question that I want to get to. I might as well get to this here. Uh, and because I had talked about that, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy uh, and I, we both, uh, you know, we did a special. We went to Cancun. We went to this Passport to Freedom thing. Uh, Stephanie was a speaker there about Bitcoin uh because she is one of the premier women in Bitcoin and uh you know that they uh, she, she gave a talk there and we talked about her whole experience going to Mexico and all that stuff and we did a special uh about it that will eventually be released in in uh in one shape but I we haven't decided yet exactly how. Yes, lovely hyper intelligent actress Stephanie Murphy.
1: Hi, guys. (laughs) I just wanted to let you know, I take the blame for having not released that special yet, because I was the one who said, Brian, this is too good. People have to pay for this. Right. And he's been uh, so busy. You've been so busy, Brian, working on your game that you haven't really had a chance to set up like a a system where people could potentially pay a few
0: micro bits for (laughs) access to a podcast or something like that. So we haven't released that yet. And I just wanted to say it's totally my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, thank you so much for that. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) So, I mean, it's no big deal. But anyway, someone emailed me the past week and they wanted to. It's like, okay, hey, you know, if you're not going to release that yet, Could you at least, you know, maybe like they actually said, you know, via email, could you tell me what went down, what it was all about? And what I'll actually do is I'll talk about it here, Um, you know, because they said they were interested in attending these kind of events. And I'll just say it outright. You know, I'll give you the short and sweet. Believe me, like Stephanie just said that the episode is great and you're still going to want to hear it when it finally gets released. So I'm not really revealing anything, uh, you know, that would harm that in any way. Uh, So my point, but I'll just say it straight up. These expat Uh, uh, conferences, I think are all a scam. They're just a scam. They're, they're, they're a sham. They're, they're bullshit. Uh, there's, there's very little useful information being shared at these things. Uh, the, with the lead guy for the passport to freedom, Uh, a conference that is the, the nomad capitalist. And please, this is just my opinion. This is not Stephanie's uh, opinions. She shared hers in that episode. Uh, These, this is totally me. In my opinion, what I heard, she heard, you know, she could have heard things, you know, in other ways or received them in other ways and maybe even found them useful. Okay. Uh, But this guy, the nomad capitalist, as he, as he's known, Andrew Henderson, he was recommending Botswana as a place to live. Um, that, that's fucking ridiculous. as yeah, a place to start a business. Uh, as, or uh, yeah, well, it was his wild card. Well, yeah, it was his wild card to like start a business or whatever. No, don't do Botswana. He had like this list of seven and that was oh, that's yeah, I told you. That's my wild card, baby. You know, he kind of pulls this whole like salesman shtick that's uh, annoying as hell if you've been in that space uh for any length of time. The only one he recommended that was pretty good was Georgia. Uh the country, not the you know, not the state. I've been to Georgia. It is. It's it's beautiful there. Uh You have to deal with Russia, but there's there's some truth to the, like that. That's a good place to have a to have a business. Um, you know, but he like and he's doing this like creepy sales pitch, and it, it was so funny because like there's this free dinner. It's like oh good, we get to sit down and have dinner or whatever. But no, I should have known when I walked in because there's this stage. Buy all the tables, and of course he has a talk. So if you want to eat, boy, there, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? And if you wanted to eat, you had to listen to 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 this person talk. And he gave like this ridiculous, like he said, he's like, you know, we're all here, we're we're ahead of the curve, all of us at this passport to freedom, this this, this group. And he was, of course, uh, selling off his various groups that he has to offer that you can join for, uh, uh you know, a high premium, I'm sure. And uh, and he's like, he says, you know, I was standing out on the beach here in mexico earlier and i saw this bird fly into the sky and then other birds joined it and they all they all came together in a v and you know all of us here were that v we find strength in each other and all this and it was so cultish it was so ridiculous and you know i immediately like as soon as he was done talking i turned to stephanie and i said what is this the mighty fucking ducks it's like the, the the flying v From the 1990s, the movie, it's like, yeah, ducks, you know, I mean, it was, it was just so, I mean, it's such bullshit that, that they pulled there. Uh, and then Jeff Berwick was there and he talked for a bit or tried to talk. He was too busy slurring, uh, because he had drank so goddamn much. And like, he started putting on that, oh, you know, these people in charge, they're not human. Um, you know, he started talking, please, these are just my opinions, my opinions alone. Uh, started talking about, you know, like the royal family, like, he, I mean, talk about, you know, you think I laid out some crazy conspiracy theories, boy, you know, about Star Wars? Holy shit, you should have heard the stuff he was talking about. Like, oh, oh, one of the beauties was uh, uh, that that Malaysia, the reason the Malaysia flights are going down is because in Malaysia, they're holding 9-11 rallies, and that's why the planes are crashing. Really? So I think that in large part, these, whether they're online or in reality, I think a lot of these expatriation uh, uh, events or, you know, financial freedom events in a large part are are scams and they charge a ton of money. You know, they're really they're scams. And in fact, the person that could probably really help you out. I know. What is it? The, the 49th rule of acquisition that that uh, uh, free advice is seldom free. Is that how that goes <laughs> or something like that? But, They're cheap. Yeah. Cheap advice is seldom or free advice is seldom cheap. That's 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 the rule of the Frankie rule of acquisition. Um, But you know what? Honestly, the person that could really help you would have so that that could give you like actual good advice would have so much money. He probably wouldn't charge. You know, to to hear what he has to say, he just kind of like put it out there or something, you know, Uh, I, I, I just I don't I don't. The all the, all these conferences and events, they're they're bullshit, in, in my opinion. Uh, I think they're a scam and largely for a lot of the re- it's there to sell uh, products by the people that are asked to come and speak. Often the people that are asked to come and speak aren't even paid well for their time. They're not compensated for their time to bring their reputation to these events, to draw people in. Um, I, I think that, you know, so you you as the uh, consumer of going to these events get screwed in my opinion, but then also many times the speakers get screwed. Uh, and so I, I feel I, you know, I just don't recommend these events. I think they're, you know, I haven't found the one that somehow I thought was a good idea. And please, I'm critical of most events, Bitcoin events and all that Liberty events are often, you know, those can be very interesting. Um, but, but a lot of these events are just, they're crap. But I guess in, in the end, just really, the whole thing was just missing something. You know, there wasn't, a. uh, you know, I didn't hear a a concentration on, on personal freedom, which is the real freedom a person can get. Uh, I mean, you know, like the lovely hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy says, I mean, freedom is an inside job. You know, work on you work on the inside, you know, put your money there. And I think that's how you can feel some real freedom. I mean, because you're not if you're not happy with who you are, uh, you know, and largely where you are. Going to Botswana or anywhere else isn't going to make you happy. So, Carpe Lugem, everybody. I'll see you on the other side.